Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The Gateway brought to you by the Northern Illinois University College of Business where your future is without boundaries and our approach is to. I am joined as always with my incredible co-host Dr. Biagio Palese. Hello Biagio! Ciao a tutti! Welcome, welcome to another great episode. For this episode... The Gateway will be venturing into the unlimited potential of generative AI. With novel tools like ChatGPT dominating the media cycle and our imagination, our future seems boundless if these tools are utilized effectively. To help us examine the multitude of possible futures, we are excited to have Dr. Dominic Dellerman captain this conversation into a new frontier. Dr. Dellerman is the CEO and founder of Vencortex, a groundbreaking startup augmenting the entire decision-making process by combining human intuition with artificial intelligence. Dominic, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me and uh, thanks for the introduction. I think uh, I should hire you for pitching our company. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. If that means I get to go hang out in Germany, I'll be there. I mean, I love all my (laughs) students, but but I'll be there. (laughs) So, Dominic, I always like to start these conversations at at the beginning. And I I think for this, this topic, I think defining generative AI is kind of a good place. Can you give us kind of a working definition of of what that is and maybe a comparison of where it was when we used the term AI? Like what what is that new thing? What is generative AI compared to AI? I know it's under the same umbrella, but kind of some context. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, there are always a lot of definitions out there also on what AI is is, uh, in general. Um, I'm always saying AI is one of the biggest buzzwords probably. Um, And when you actually work in this topic, it becomes much more boring and you call it more like not the AI, but you like when we when we sell, we we always have AI. But when you talk internally, it's like the model and then it's not so fancy any longer. Um, So so in general, I think that everything that goes under the the umbrella of AI is like very, very broad. And it goes from really like uh, uh, time series forecasting to classification to from from simple linear models, rule-based models, ontologies up to the deep learning models that excite us right now. And in principle, generative AI is the, the idea of learning the data generation process like what is like how is something created out there this could be text but uh, we we could be also other things we'll talk about this later um and by doing that we are able to create new things and that's that's the exciting part we are kind of able to create new text new images that not necessarily exist out there. And I think this is something that excites us right now that we always thought or or many times, like also when you talk to people, they have the impression, yeah, but AI is just something that uses historic data or something that exists and it cannot do something new. But when you look at generative AI, it shows us that actually it's possible to create something new by understanding 
the the overall uh, like context or the data generation process, and then it can create similar things. And what we have right now is um, with, with ChatGPT is like very dominated in the, in the text field, which is quite of interesting. Which has also downsides, which is like the the hallucinations. I think we will probably touch this later on also. Um, but I also obviously images is another thing with mid journey out there but i also like to open up the space a little more and one thing where generative ai is also existing is when it comes for example to simulations so for example we are using generative models also uh GANs or, or autoencoder and and uh, autoregressive models for stimulation actually so can you simulate business scenarios? Like how, how are specific KPIs emerging? How are specific um, metrics emerging? And uh, actually this worked also pretty well, um, although it's not so fancy. So uh, we, we've, we started back in 2019, I think, with uh, basic research on, on uh, generative AI for simulations. And um, back then, no, no one was interested in the topic. Uh, now it's going crazy, and you always see, but you always see the same kind of things there, um, because obviously it's much much sexier than what what we do, right? Like if we do generative models, you have a, a you have a table of numbers, uh, which brings value to someone in business, but which which is not very fancy or sexy for a, a layman, I would say. <laughs> So, Dominic, then I, I, I want to, you touched on a, a couple of really cool different areas in there, and I'd like you to expound on that one, because as chat GPTs come out, one of the the first criticisms that was passing around was the, that it exact idea that it can't create new things. At some point, it's pulling from the internet, and if everything else on the internet is created by ChatGPT, then it almost becomes like it's cannibalizing its own self, and then at some point, that's going to fall through. How are we going to, as technicians utilizing these tools, prevent that from happening or or continue to expand on this so that these, these assets don't completely fall off and, and be basically a gimmick that disappeared, you know, along the way, like snake oil, you know? I think the different or the, the difficult thing is like, first of all, we need to separate situations where we actually want to create something versus situations where we want to create an answer for something where the underlying answer is true. And this is basically something that we see is very problematic right now with uh, i can ask that actually this, this happened to me i i was asking uh chat pbt about uh, what's the average visitor rate in this industry like to to write uh, do some research search for a blog post because i wanted to try if it works for that um, and it came up with yeah there are many studies by mckinsey that uh, say that it's 40 percent. i don't know and then i was saying to which study are you referring and then you get back the answer. Well, actually, I'm not referring to any specific study, but you will probably find something out there, kind of. Um, and th this is very dangerous because I want to have a like a true answer. I don't want the only thing you should generate is like the way you communicate it to me. And 
I don't want to generate new information. So this is one part. And this is super dangerous right now. And the second part is where we actually want to generate something new. And there we see that there are very exciting use cases where I think we can actually build on that. So using ChatGPT, for example, as the sparring partner, like throwing in ideas, getting feedback, um, just what, what I personally like a lot is like to say, look, this is how I frame something or how I define something, how I write it. Can you, can you write it in a different way? So it gives me feedback so to say, maybe this is a better way to explain it. So just to give you inspiration on that. This is one thing. Another thing I think that's pretty interesting is using it for example for coding. So I'm a big fan of uh, using um, Co GitHub Copilot for, for coding because it's actually like it helps you to solve very repetitive tasks on the one hand and it basically saves you time from Googling and it's, it's fine if it's not right every time because you can basically try and debug. Um, and I think when this becomes better and we kind of build on, on, on this and me as a developer, for example, does not need to spend so much time on the repetitive task. We open up much more time for more productive work. And, and this is basically where things become interesting and where we can like also, if, if we use the technology in a, in, a, in a clever way, I think we can emerge as a, as a society in the right direction by being more productive and being able to solve problems that we couldn't solve before. I, I, I wanna jump on this uh, and, and, and again, I, I known Dominic for a while and back in 2018, I heard this presentation about his PhD dissertation and it was about a concept of uh, hybrid intelligence. And uh, I think what is, is underlying here is, is very important is, is seeing these machines, these algorithms as your potential collaborator because they can enable totally. you to, to achieve more than what you can do on your own. Uh, and it's not like, taking away, you, you shouldn't just say, oh, I'm, I don't need to code anymore. I don't need to learn it just because he can do it because you still need to understand it. And um, to the point that if he's throwing at you something that it doesn't make any sense, you you you, you get it and say, hey, where, where are you going with this, right? And it happened to me a lot of time, honestly, but for repetitive tasks and for feedback and stuff like that, I think, uh, you know, Steve Jobs says computer and bicycle for our minds and this can be your Ferrari, if, if you like Italian cars, or, or it can be really bringing you to the next level when it comes to productivity and efficiency. But again, it all comes to use them in the right way and uh, is still treating them as your collab collaborative uh, companion rather than somebody that can replace you or you can completely rely on. At this stage, I'm not saying in the future, but at this stage, I kind of want to emphasize that. Yeah, I think that's that's a very good point. And uh, thanks for referring basically to, to hybrid intelligence here. Um, I think it's very interesting because when I, I think I started working on this topic back in 2017 or so, and like I, I remember my supervisor was telling me like, who, who the fuck cares, yeah, kind of. So why, why this topic, what, what should this be? And kind of, uh, it was really hard to convince him that this is something that will be, uh, relevant for the future um, and now we see this emergence which, which makes me uh, 
pretty excited on the one hand, but on the other hand, I also think we we are still as as humans, like on average, far away from seeing this as a collaborator. I think most of the time we still have now we have two extremes again, which is on the one hand, we have people that see it still as something that is kind of dangerous. This is taking my job. This is uh, something that uh, I think Italy, like they didn't. You they can use the, it. Yeah, you can use yeah. ChatGPT. But we created Pizza GPT. I'm serious. It exists. I'm not throwing it up. They created Pizza <laughs> GPT that, that kind of goes over the privacy rule. That I think it's a privacy reason, but uh, yeah, they created Pizza GPT, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I will try this after. <laughs> it's still working. It was up uh, a few days ago. I just. <laughs> I think um, so. This is the one, the one direction. Then there's the other direction where people just kind of kind of follow blindly and they use it not as a collaborator in the other sense, but they just use it as exactly like this. So, well, I don't need to work anymore. I don't need to do anything anymore. I don't need to question things anymore. So I just asked ChatGPT and it tells me some bullshit and I take this. And that's the other thing. And now hopefully we, at, like in the next years, we kind of come together to, to really use this as a technology that we see as a collaborator and then it becomes hybrid intelligence because it's not replacing me in the one direction or in the other direction, but it's like really becoming some like, let's say we work together, right? So you challenge me, I challenge you. And I, I, I can tell you, I don't agree with this. You can tell me I don't agree with that. And we kind of find a consensus and we kind of help each other to, to basically come to a better result. And I think that most of the people are not using it like that until now, but I think that's something where people will grow into the more they, they use such uh, technology and when they realize um, it frees up my time for doing things that provide more value and then also to add on that. I can add one more thing, Russ. I'm sorry. Like, you know, when, when the topic is <laughs> super exciting for me, I want to add, like you were saying, like, uh, this is actually a very exciting topic for our students. I, I tell them if I had the time, uh, apart from my work, to work on this, I would probably put half of my day on this stuff just because of what it enables you to, to achieve that you can be the best coder, but if, if you don't use ChatGPT or a large language model to support what you're doing, you're still going to fall behind on some people that start to using them efficiently and effectively just because you can't keep up with the speed of uh, something like that, it's just yeah. it's just uh, it's just not possible. But the, here is it is to me that's the the fascinating aspect of it is the opportunity, right? Because you don't have to be the best in the business, right? Because you don't have to be the the biggest expert on the topic to use it in an efficient way. Then the horizon of what you can achieve now compared to when I was doing my PhD and I remember struggling with a lot of things like big data analytics and stuff like that. Uh, using a supercomputer, like probably now it would have took me like a third of a time or a tenth of a time, right? So what I could have achieved in that time frame could have we could have been much bigger, right? Yeah. So, so I think that's that's the exciting component. Like if if you guys have a dream or something that you really like and you invest time in in understanding this technology and in using them efficiently, then then you can become a, a successful CEO like Dominic and and have your own company. If you know if you have an idea that 
can go in that direction. And uh, I think that's that's the exciting part. And I know uh, we'll talk talk about the dark side as well, but uh, but that's definitely the bright side. And I hope you know the the audience are focused on that for now because they they're young and they can dream. So. So now I think is the perfect time to talk about a little bit of the the dark side of that stuff. And Dominic, you already brought that up the 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 inconsistencies with especially truth and the idea of truth throughout our society. We've even had to grapple with some of those things of what is true and and what happens if we don't accept what is true and all of that stuff. Um, while we're teaching these these generative AIs when we're, when we're literally modeling off of that stuff, how do our own biases, our own perspectives, our human elements of it, um, maybe impact or shift or completely send a tool down the wrong path? Uh, how do we stop that? How do we make sure we're not doing that? And who determines what that is, what's right? I guess that that's my real question. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, always where this kind of uh, discussions go into the philosophical kind of direction, right? Because what, what you said is, is to totally right. On the, like, and that's also something that we see, I think, in Europe many times. I mean, Europe is, uh, I think, not a champion in technology, but a champion in regulation. So we, we regulate technology we don't even invent or develop or cannot even build. Um, but we are good at Understand. regulation. And that, <laughs> yep. Um, and the, the, the issue there is that many times we have this discussion about uh, bias and uh, yeah, this, uh, these models are uh, uh, sexist or something like that. I, just, uh, I think yesterday or so I read an article that uh, it was like a chat GPT dialogue with a nurse and a doctor, and it was always like the, the doctor with he and the nurse with she. Yeah, and th then we talk about, uh, yeah, this is biased, this is a sexist model and kind of things. I think what it shows us is kind of, it, it's kind of showing us the mirror of, of society because in the end, like it's trained on, um, on text from the internet. And like, it's pretty easy to explain, yeah. Um, most of the time, the doctor is male and the nurse is female. So, so that's that's kind of reality. And now we kind of uh, need to think about should this model represent reality or should it represent a desired state of reality? And then it comes to this philosophical point, which is what is the desired state and who decides that? And I think what we should realize as as humans uh, is that we don't have like a shared set of values and norms and kind of ways of treating each other. And I think we should take this situation now and not so much think about regulating AI, but like taking this as a point of discussion and say, can we agree on a shared set of, of, of values actually? Because we see this that, I mean, again, uh, um, don't want to rage too much about Europe, uh, but it's again a thing that uh, you also know pretty well. Yeah, we have the European Union, which has the idea of we we share a common ground, a common set of norms and values, 
but it's actually not true. Like it's so heterogeneous. We have so many different opinions, different ways of living and so much kind of friction in there. Um, and it's like a very small and, and very related part of the world. And the question is then like, who defines these norms? Who defines these values? And can we come up with, with such values? And I think it would be very helpful to, to think about this first and then say, how should we kind of regulate AI? Because the question is like, I don't know the answer. I, I don't know what would be a good way to regulate this. Is ChatGPT bad because it says uh, the nurse is uh, female and um, the, the, the doctor is male? Or is this just like what people in society choose as their jobs? Or is this something where we put people, like we, we kind of uh, press people in this kind of way so they choose their jobs? And I think it's a very difficult uh, question to answer there. And I think what's much more relevant right now as a first step is to kind of control that the output of, of ChatGPT, for example, is representing reality. And especially when it comes to facts, like we don't want to create a lot of fake news or fake studies or fake historical events. And, and that's something that um, is, is, I think, the first step of, of kind of control that we need there. Uh, and I, I, can, I can add on this. I think it's also, thanks to generative AI, it's much easier to be more inclusive, to diversify mm -hmm. and push those boundaries, actually. Because if in your prompt you specify, I want certain characteristic in my simulation of the person who is in charge, who is the chairman, right? It's very easy to actually make it more inclusive and equitable than it, it is actually in real life in, in some of the countries uh, where there are these disparities. And I know Northern Europe is, is actually ahead of Italy in some of those stuff, but uh, I think it's actually a, an opportunity to make more inclusive and more equitable yeah. when it comes to example in the classroom, when it comes to simulation, like you were talking about, I think it's, it's actually a good tool to remove some of those biases and make it uh, more equitable. Although, as you were saying, it's trained on data that are publicly available. So it's probably reflecting some, 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 somehow the reality of, you know, uh, whatever is reported, whatever is collected, so. So when I'm thinking about all of the possibilities within this stuff and, and, and not regulating the AI, is there something, and I'll ask both of you, that you, don't want AI to get involved in? Is there is there an element or some question or something within that stuff that you would prefer to keep it, I, I guess you could say, organic, human um, in that one? Or is there something... Or, or is it should should it always be? Should that be where we're heading, that we always try and at least get to Dominic's idea of, of hybrid uh, AI and hybrid intelligence? Well, I, I'm, a, I'm an optimist, so uh, I think it should be uh, everywhere, to be honest, because I think it's more about, again, how we use it. And assuming like in living in a kind of idealistic world where we really want to improve the 
the overall result, I think it's always a good idea to, to use technology there. And I think a, a good example for that is in the healthcare domain. We've seen now a lot of progress also in using basically uh, generative AI for answering complex medical questions. And the thing is that, um, for example, we in, we in Germany, we have a, like a real serious issue about a shortage of workers in healthcare. And it's like, it's crazy what's going on in hospitals. And if you want to get an appointment with a doctor, we have this, this very social system of insurance. So I can go to a doctor like five times a day for free, basically. Um, but I don't even have the opportunity sometimes to go to one in the next uh, two months or three months and uh, because we have such a shortage there. And then when you go to a hospital, you have this, uh, this doctors, like a friend of mine is working in, as, a, as a doctor and he's saying, like you have this shift that lasts for 24 hours and you, you, when some, uh, some patient comes in and you've been working for 18 hours, like there's no way that you make the, the best possible treatment. And if you have a way to kind of support them with technology, with maybe also using them just to give a second opinion, right? Or um, even a few opinions to tell them, hey, look, you think it's this kind of disease, but other possibilities would be ABC. So maybe you should test on that. And if I, I as a human, I think it's still important that the, the human has the, the final say or the final control in, in many domains. Um, but it gives me like another way or, that, or at least another opinion and another way of thinking and this can trigger me to to improve in one way or sometimes it can also say well yeah that makes perfect sense so I don't even need to kind of uh, use cognitive resources for that and I can use my time focusing on on the, the person that is sitting uh, in front of me instead of uh, going into the, the data or the history of the, of the medical tests and things like that. I, I, if I can jump in and I don't wanna I put myself in the same conversation on Dominic, because again, he's been working and I've seen firsthand on many occasions, but my take on this is, uh, you know, there are ethical considerations in use on AI in some specific areas and, and fields. Uh, I just I just believe that I'm, I'm positive towards technology like Dominic. I'm optimistic that it can make our life better and can help us, uh, you know, enhance our works on pretty much every every field uh, possible. Uh, I, some people might question, should I use AI to grade my student assignment? Uh, is that ethical? And it depends, right? If if that enables to give them 24-7 feedback, give them 24-7 support and uh, giving more specific or customized experience, uh, then why shouldn't you do it, right? And uh, I'm sure some people will have different philosophical underpinning and say, ah, I don't know, you know, they they you interact as a human, then there is somebody else grading this that doesn't know, I don't know why Zach wasn't, uh, feeling his best at that time when he did the test and some other other things that us as professors take in consideration when we prepare a test and so on and so forth. Uh, but reality is uh, that human have one constraint that AI doesn't have, which is time. 
And uh, for as much as I work hard and I give my 100% in everything, I wish I could do more. And without the use of the AI, I don't think I can just because I also have a family and uh, <laughs> uh, and I have other things to do, right? So that's, I think that's the lens I will approach it is the fact that it can make you do more. And uh, some of the more that you make is can make a huge impact of somebody else. And keep the positive right. So yeah, I think most most of the times it's also not like um, you you could do the same thing um, like you said you would give uh, your you would want to take into uh, account every single personal consideration about a student but it's not possible like you said you, you have so many limited resources and I think this counts for for most of the jobs you would be willing to do that but you're actually not able to do that because it's it's not even feasible. And yeah. then it's not like uh, I'm saying, yeah, I don't want to do this. And that's why I, I like kind of outsource it to technology. But again, I'm using technology to augment myself, to be able to deliver a better service to whoever my client is in the end. And, and, and if I can add on that, if, if you think about the disruption that this technology can bring is, is similar to when, you know, e-commerce or internet come out, right? Anybody will say, I don't trust this. I don't want to make purchase online. I don't even know the, the person that is on the other side. And I don't know, I do grocery right now <laughs> using the internet just because I don't have sometimes the time to go to the grocery store, right? Uh, and it, trust, I think, is a big topic in, in this just because as yeah. Dominic mentioned, like hallucination is a real thing. So that's why you shouldn't lightly use it, in my opinion. You shouldn't never lightly use it and say, Hey, let let him do the job. Let him interact with all the the, the different patients in the case of healthcare, and not even review his answers. Or there must be somebody still in place that kind of overview. But again, he can scale rather than uh, Dominic friend has to do eighteen hours shift, and then it's exhausted by the end of the day, and he cannot perform as he should be. Uh, so I think scaling and time is too, too big consideration in this topic and the reason why we should embrace it. So then as many of our audience members are pursuing education, uh, should should we just completely allow all education to utilize ChatGPT? I mean, it, it, you both, I would say, fell on the side that if it helps you and it, and it benefits you and it's not feasible, then you should use it. And I think there are many people that would say a lot of the things and work that they have to do during pursuit of the high school diploma, higher education, whatever it is, a lot of it feels more like busy work. And if chat GPT allows you to do that, so you can focus on other things that you want to do, should we be able to do that? And then my second question to that one is, as young people or as people are starting in their career, what should, what skills should you be working on to be chat gpt proof in the near future for for your career basically yeah i think uh, you guys are much more experienced in education so maybe you're the better ones to to answer this like what comes to my mind is that we see this shift of what actually education and and like skills mean uh over probably the last decades, right? So let's say 
uh, 40 years ago, I was probably like, if I had a lot of information uh, about a topic or stored in my head kind of, I would be a very valuable person on the job market because in the end, I just need to record and say, um, yeah, you, it was like that, you should do that. This is the answer to that. Um, and already with the, with the internet, we saw that it's much less relevant to kind of recall like simple stuff or, or like just stuff, um, facts, but it's much more relevant to be able to apply the facts, like to be able to use the, the kind of knowledge I gained or like to, to make the transfer to different situations. And I think now it's, this is accelerating on the one hand and on the other hand, also the capability like to question things is becoming much more relevant because what we, what we have now is like so much information in general, without, even without AI, without generative AI, with so much information out there that and, and the, like the world is not always like black and white, but there's a lot of gray between. And we need to kind of be able to use all this information and kind of critically ask ourselves what, what is like, what is kind of true, what is not true, what fits my way of thinking, what doesn't fit, what's working to solve the problem and what's probably not. And I think this is, becoming even more relevant with the, the advent of, of now generative AI, because in the end, now we, we really need to question that. And we shouldn't like just trust it and say, yeah, you are the, the general intelligence, I take whatever comes from you, but being able to, to question that and then to decide on our own if we should use it and how we should use it. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I'll just like add on that just because it's uh, on the, the education side, I, I this week I let my student, uh, you know, I teach coding and for the master student and teach R and I let all the semester just learn about the code and how to code, understand the code, the importance of not memorizing the code, just because as Dominic is saying, you don't, I mean, you don't need to memorize anymore uh, those information. You can, if you understood the code, you can always recall and figure it out, how to use a function and so on and so forth. And this week I challenged them and I say, you can use ChatGPT. Actually, I wanna see the prompt that you guys use uh, and try to do an activity in one week. An activity that probably without ChatGPT, you should take them two or two and a half weeks, right? Uh, I think it's, it's a skill that you need to build. Uh, prompt engineering is gonna be one of the job that will pay you the most and, and, and it takes time. It, it's, not a, it's not like talking with Ross or Dominic. I know you guys and I know exactly how to ask you things uh, to, to get the right uh, mm -hmm. response, but this is something that you need to practice. And maybe the first prompt, the way you ask it is, is not gonna give you a good result. So you can just copy and paste that and, and think it's gonna work. Uh, you need to, again, spend the time. And I think they'll start building courses on how to interact with this. So interacting with the technology, communicate with the technology is going to be a skill that I see very valuable uh, in the future with AI. Also, other other way to interact through technology, I think is very important. And uh, critical thinking is another one, like being able to distinguish or discern between what is real, what is not, what, what a, a human 
will process those information, those summarization, those those results. So, in uh, creativity, I think creativity will still stay up there. Uh, my scale of skills, but that's so, just me. <laughs> so then, Dominic, with 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 that in creativity and all of that stuff, we we mentioned and when we're kind of been focusing on chat GPT, the the text generation side of this stuff, but there there's a, a whole wave of actual generative AI creating the visual elements of that stuff that that humans, I think, have been at the forefront of for, since we, we started drawing on, on caves. Like that, that's been our thing. That's been the thing that really separated us from many of our other delineations down the line. What, what does it look like in a world when maybe we don't need artists as much like literally the most beautiful things we can create are created by a, a, a computer is is that a good thing is that a bad thing are we missing something from the human experience at that point is it do we still teach our children to finger paint like these are all the questions that come in in into my head when i think about that well the, the question actually uh, I had this discussion recently with uh, my uh, UX designer like um, we were talking about this because he's really into into uh, mid journey recently when it comes to like generating images like personally because he says it makes it's really fun also like like he, he also likes to do some artistic stuff on the side so uh, he he really said he really enjoys like interacting with it and seeing what comes out. And then we also had this discussion of like what actually what what is art, right? So is it really about the 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 outcome? So if you have and and I'm a bad person to ask because I have no idea about art. It's like just uh, I'm recalling now what I learned from these conversations. Um, so the question is, if I'm if I'm buying a kind of Picasso or Van Gogh, is it is it because like the some sometimes maybe it is because the like the style is so special, or is it also because I like the artist wanted to express something like th that is deeply out of the artist and that kind of like puts passion and puts puts like all the the pain and, and the way of thinking into something. Um, and if it's that, I think not so many things are changing because if I want to generate now art, it's not, the skill is maybe no, no longer that I, that I kind of uh, take a, a pen and, and, and draw something or uh, to paint something, but it's more about like being able to express the things I want to express and the style I, I envision in my mind to a machine. So the machine basically does the, the, the job for me, uh, like this, this uh, manufacturing part of it. And we also talked about like, is, is digital art art or is it different than, than if you let uh, generate stuff from, from uh, mid journey? Because in the end, like it's also a tool that helps you to be more effective, to be able to create things that you cannot do manually. Um, and then it's very similar, I guess. It's just like another step. And I think 
I read once that there was like last year or so the the guy who won an uh, some kind of uh, contest uh, with this uh, AI generated uh, picture and. I don't remember exactly, but he's, he says like it took him weeks to to basically create it. So it's not like um, me as someone who has no idea can throw something to to an AI and we get an amazing result. It's like you need to be able to express this and, and be able like to kind of control the tool to come to a desired outcome. And in the end, I think it's the if you paint something, you also need to control the tool to come to an to an outcome. Maybe that's a, a very uh, mechanic and and very 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 technical perspective on it, but that's kind of my uh, impression of of how it will influence art. And I learned that uh, artists always uh, were against technology, and then some way they are, they adapt it, and then they love it, and then it goes to the next step of evolution. I think, uh, and. I Raz, I, I think uh, also like if you think about other technology before, right? My my dad is a photographer, and I remember when by taking a picture it cost you money, mm. so you had to to be very patient on you know the perfect moment in you know finding the time of uh, taking that. I think photography is art, by the way. Uh, so when you have digital cameras, right? When you have digital cameras and you have programs like Photoshop that uh, can help you editing afterwards, is is still you are altering the reality you are after you kind of everybody it becomes more accessible right so everybody can take picture of a wedding or take a picture of a graduation and so on and so forth you you now take it on your iphone you don't even need or your phone right you don't even need a camera anymore so i think i think technology has been disrupting art in many ways even before this and also in this case if you take it as a collaborator you can be more efficient and more productive in what you do like uh, a designer like uh, Dominic was talking about he can now do the project they was doing before uh, in, in less time and, and do more projects right so it, it can help also in that case and I throw in their music just because there was the Drake and the weekend uh, song right uh, that was a big case and uh, yeah of course it's probably a violation because that's not Drake and the weekend singing but uh, those artists can also be more productive now uh, in and, and benefit from the technology, I think. And it's also a dark side, of course. I think also when you, like, you as a consumer, right, if it creates great songs and you like them, then you kind of contribute to the, 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 the greater benefit and the happiness of, of people. And who, who cares? I mean, obviously, you need to be able to check this uh, this violations of IP and, and, and things like that. But I think that they will come up with solutions uh, on that. But then in the end, like it's also nothing bad, but actually something that that uh, contributes to greater good. Yeah, I, I think that's one point where probably regulating AI might be needed, right? Uh, like we say in academia, like who is writing the paper? Is, is it AI or is you? Who is the, you know, the property? Uh, of the the object that is created, so I think that's that's probably something that needs regulation or it needs a discussion, a broader discussion. But it's very tough because it come out so quickly, and and now everybody's using it, and they see the boost in productivity and what they can do, and uh, they put just out there everything they can produce. So it's uh, it's uh, definitely a challenging side of it.
And one element to to technology, I, I think this this crosses a, a lot of different metaphorical boundaries and and geographic lines is this idea that technology is moving faster than than we are a lot of times and especially those people that might be creating the laws or the regulation within that tend to have uh tend to be of an even older uh generation people that that literally were not raised on any type of technology and are now are uh being tasked with trying to regulate some of the most powerful technologies we've ever encountered as humanity um again this is a question for both of you because i think you're you're both on the forefront of of these discussions and these thoughts how how do we bridge that gap not only between our leadership and and those from political positions that might not be aware of what it is and and just read headlines about the, the disastrous side of it uh but also then truly make measured impactful beneficial decisions to try and and kind of contain some of those negative aspects of, of AI or, or is that just we're, we're going to keep going and, and figure it out along the way and see what happens? I think many, many times uh, it's a good way to kind of take this, this approach. I think, the, for example, Switzerland took this approach uh, um, in, in, in crypto and, and fintech when they I think they call they call it like sandboxes or so, and they basically they said we have no idea how to regulate this because it's so new. So let's let's work together. So we first of all you can kind of you can do it in a frame whatever you want, and then like we we kind of collaborate on on figuring out what's a good uh, solution, how to regulate it, um, and I think this is something where also. Politicians and I'm, again, like here, I'm, I'm very biased on the on the European side. And like, what what we're doing there as as Europeans, it's it's insanity with the uh, AI Regulation Act. So, like you said, and I'm very critical on that because you have the situation that we are far behind in many parts of technology. We are losing a lot of good companies and technology companies to, to for example, the US and, and other parts of the world. And then we continue regulating things where we are already behind. And that's, and the problem is not the, the regulation. The problem is doing the regulation without understanding what we are regulating and without understanding the consequences. And I think it, what, what we already saw there is like, with uh, the, the GDPR regulation we, we have in Europe, right? So the idea was to kind of being able to control this, this the privacy, especially from, uh, from this uh, internet giants like Facebook, Google, and so on. And, but what happened actually, and that's my point of view is that, yeah, what do they do? They, did they do? They said, yeah, okay, we we comply with that. So here's how uh, you have all the 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 privacy policy you need you need to give your consent. And me as a user, I don't care. So I give my consent. Everything is fine. So they don't care. But who actually cares are the small restaurants, for example, that have no idea about. Uh, 
any kind of, of web technology. They just want to have a website so people can find them and come to their restaurant. And now they need to have someone who takes care of the, the data privacy policies and uh, uh, the, the cookie consent and so on. And you, they need kind of to hire a lawyer to give them this, this kind of uh, documents or this kind of uh, structures so they, they comply with regulation. And so I think the effect that we had there went in a totally wrong direction. And I see the same problem right now with, with regulating AI that we don't try to work together with, with, for example, companies at the forefront and say, hey, look, what, let's say you talk to, to, to the, the, the Googles and the open AIs of the world. And yes, they, they are aware of the problems this technology creates and they are actively looking for solutions. They create teams on, on uh, bias mitigation. They create teams on basically controlling output and so on. Collaborate with them, like really understand what the issues are and develop solutions with them because they are also interested in finding solutions. And I think that's the right way and not saying like, eh, what's going on now is not good. So we just uh, like kind of uh, regulate and, and say it's no longer allowed. And uh, we are always this negative approach. And I think this is, this is a very bad way of approaching it. And uh, something where people will just realize probably in a few years that this will like cause a, a significant damage to European society, European um, economy and, and the, the, the status we will have in the world. I, I again, I, I agree with Dominic. I think when, when it comes to this uh, technology that are so disruptive, I think you need to create an environment where different stakeholders with different expertise and point of view come together. Don't, it can be an impulsive decision. I, I've seen people asking for open AI to stop in their work. And uh, there are researchers like very famous researcher in AI, people that understand the topic way better than me, but you cannot ask one company to pause what they are doing and then everybody else catch up with them and because not everybody's gonna stop this research, right? Uh, is is the most, is one of the hottest topic right now. And again, the benefit they can have and the impact they can have is, is huge, right? So you, you can't have something like that, like saying Italy cannot use chart GPT starting today and it was allowed you know two days ago so it, it has to be decisions that are informed by people they have different understanding and different that brings different aspect to the table then those decisions those regulations actually uh come from an understanding on all the perspectives although it's difficult i'm not saying <laughs> uh it's but but you know those people are leaders those people are in those positions because they have to take those tough decisions, because they have to make those tough uh, regulational policies, right? So it's, uh, it's I, I can agree with Dominic, many times they are made and there is not a clear understanding of what they are trying to regulate. And that's, that's dangerous because it can be missed opportunity or it can just lead to falling behind some of the, some of the disruption that this is bringing, right? I can just think like, I'm Italian, but I'm in the US. I can use ChatGPT for my research. <laughs> and my colleague <laughs> is 
is in Italy and he cannot use it, right? Although I, I don't know if he used the VPN, if he can do it, but, but that's a different story, right? It's still, and users, like Dominic was saying, many times have those concerns to just agree with and they don't care just because the tool is so good or like the social media is so something that you guys consume and you just accept them. And, and, and then that's the end of the story uh, for, for, for the users and the regulators feel better about it. But, but still, many times you guys share way too much on social media and I was guilty of that too. And that's, that's not the way to go, right? So uh, yeah. That's I think it's also like, a, a, if you think about it, it's also kind of becoming a, a ethical and, and because I mean, like uh, I'm exaggerating right now, but if you think about it, like it's, we start as a, as a society or as a, as a government to prevent people from using some kind of service on the internet. It's maybe just one. Okay. But then we are always like pointing with the finger on countries like, uh, for example, China and say, yeah, they prevent their people basically from using the, the Western uh, software, the Western tools, the Western media. So obviously it's just right now, it's just one service or one kind of technology, but where do you start? Where do you stop? And I think it's very problematic if you start saying, uh, like I said, you as an Italian living in the US, you can use it. Uh, your friend, an Italian in Italy, he, he cannot use it. And uh, like th this can become really problematic if we start like saying this is allowed, this is not allowed. Uh, then we, we're going to a kind of government that, that controls a lot of things. And this is also something that we should uh, watch very carefully. Unless the concern is to that point where, again, it's shared across the globe, right? Unless there is something that can be truly harmful uh, for society, right? Then in that case, I, I'm open to drastic decision. But again, they have to be informed. They need to be coming from understanding, right? So, yeah. Yeah, going, or, or going, going to something against go, law or something, like yeah. that, right? So go, obviously that's Going fine, to but... Switzerland to use ChatGPT, you know, for my <laughs> colleagues is not, not ideal, but they can still do it. They can still travel there. <laughs> well, I think this conversation just shows that as uh, right along with generative AI, there is going to be more. There's always going to be something else to be considering. And I am grateful for people like you, Dominic, being uh, on the forefront of it and being considerate of it and hopefully thinking and, and speaking with more people and educating all of our listeners about this stuff to to be considerate and conscious of those things too, because the, these tools are very powerful and and can, can change our world as long as we're using them in the right way. So Dominic, thank you so much for your time. Go enjoy a Friday night on Germany before your 50 kilometer run tomorrow. God, <laughs> the best. Um, but again, truly, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure to talk to you and uh, hope the listeners enjoyed our discussions and uh, have a great Friday. You do the same. Thank you. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to another episode of The Gateway brought to you by NIU's College of Business. Please make sure to subscribe to The Gateway. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or 
wherever podcasts are found. And if you are so inclined, please feel free to give us those five-star ratings, which help allow us to continue to bring wonderful guests to the gateway. Thank you all for listening, and remember to love always the promise of tomorrow today. Thank you.